We've all been in a room, and perhaps it's been a church-style auditorium where the anxiety in the room is a little too high to handle. And maybe it's just with in in marriage or in your job. You're just in a board meeting or you're in uh, you're you're trying to figure out how to accomplish a task, and you just think I'm it, it is anxious in here. Now maybe you don't think that thought, but maybe you just you feel like your shoulders are are trying to move to your ears, and your neck is tensing up, and you think what is going on and sometimes the anxiety in the room is just too high it's a it's a combination of all the different people and sometimes it's often just one person can affect the room and the the room is just not a place to feel joy because when the anxiety in the room is too high joy just seems to be the first one to see itself out That's why you need to cut the tension. That's why there's all you, that's why we have flower girls and ring bearers at weddings. It's because there's a chance they're going to do something ridiculous. And we need that. Because weddings are so, so serious. There's too much anxiety in those rooms. And you have to cut the tension, typically with joy. But it's not just joy. See, why are we anxious? Why why is those rooms, why are those rooms anxious? It's because a lot of times everyone in that room wants their way, knows that it's almost an impossibility. Because we're going to have to compromise, we're going to have to uh, to give up of ourselves, maybe give up of our own desires a little bit, give up our, of our own wants, submit at times. I'm not going to get my way. That's an anxious feeling. It's especially tough in rooms where you're making a bunch of decisions or you're trying to learn something or you're trying to just be married. Because that can, that can affect it, can it? We would uh, listen to all sorts of music when we got married. And by that I mean country. <laughs> we would listen to all sorts of music. We would, and really, what it boiled down to is we would listen to whatever we wanted to. And then we had kids. And we've finally gotten back to listening to what we wanted to, but in the early days, we listened to what they wanted to. And it's, I'm a hat for over and over again. And you're like, oh, that's cute. And then the 15th time Elmo had four ducks, or Ernie singing about his bubble bath, oddly enough. It just, you can feel, you're like, I just, and they're yelling at you, Daddy, where are we? Like, here, you, even if I told you, 
where we were, you wouldn't know. And it's just, you can get anxious with your kids in the car. That's why uh, those, those of you who are my age and around that, you're just, you can't sit in the back seat without like fearing just like a flailing arm to smack you. And those, you can get anxious. And Now, sometimes you have to just go, this, is, this isn't for me. This time isn't for me. This is for my kids. That's tough. Sometimes I like to imagine the anxiety in the room whenever one of Paul's letters is being read for the first time. It's got to be high. It's got to be, I mean, it's, especially in Philippi, because in Philippi it was already pretty high. They were having some conflict, and it seems as though there's, there's two people at the top of that conflict, and then there's one person involved. And the two people at the top of that conflict are Euodia and Syntyche, and then uh, it probably has something to do with this guy named Epaphroditus. And Paul, Paul never gets into the issue because he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to get into the issue. He doesn't have to say, oh, well, but for the record, Euodia makes more good points than Syntyche. For the record, Euodia's problem is that this and this, and she is misunderstanding Syntyche. He does not counsel them practically. And he calls them to joy, but he calls them to joy through the same mind. He calls them to joy through unity. And he calls them to unity by having the same mind as Christ Jesus. He says the anxiety in your church, the anxiety in your room can only be cut by the joy of Christ. Living out that joy. He says, make my joy complete fully. My joy needs to be full. Make it complete. Have the same mind as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself and became a man. This week, we're going to spend some time with the crucified king. This week, we're going to land on a Friday where we're we're asked to say, let's think about this day where the king was killed. And it has less to do with all of the, like, we can make it real dramatic and talk about, like, what crucifixion was, but it has less to do with that and more to do with the fact that that was a measure of him humbling himself. And Paul here says, when describing it, he says, became obedient even to the point of death. Death on a cross. Death on a cross emphasizes not just death, but death of a criminal. He became obedient even to the point of death, of, even to the point of death. When I'm called to unity, when I'm called to live, a Christian life. Follow the way of Jesus. And he's not the king who says, all who seek to follow me must take up your sword. He says, well, you must take up your cross. Good Friday is a day of humble 
humbling, humbling yourself to the point. It's about obedience to a point. And I, when I follow the way of Jesus, it's a way of not caring so much about my way. I'm, I, f- I forgot the name already. The second song we sang, um, it's down here. Uh, no, it's not. I, I will call upon the Lord. How old is that song, DJ? Just like estimate. Okay, an exact. All right, it's all right. It's my age. <laughs> Wait, it was written in thirty nine, or it's thirty nine years? Okay, it's thirty nine years old. Goodness, that man is a treasure. <laughs> I'm going to tell y'all one of our first interactions. I was just like talking to him, uh, like, and I'm going to get the dates wrong, but I asked him about like his favorite hymn. I said, "What's your favorite hymnal?" Because he has a billion. And I said, I said, what's your favorite hymnal? And he said, he like knew it and knew the date it was published. And I jokingly said, is because it was like in the 30s or something, right? The, the, the 1921 was his <laughs> favorite hymnal. And I said, uh, I said, was, well now, is, was Blue Skies and Rainbows in that? Because that was just funny to me. Obviously, it's not. He goes, no, that wasn't written until... And gave me the year Blue Skies and Rainbows. I thought Blue Skies and Rainbows was just a song someone came up with while skipping. Like, I didn't know it was like a, a written, published piece. That song's 39 years old. And what's funny is we'll sing that song sometimes and people will be like, I don't like these new songs. <laughs> it's 39. It's about to be 40. It's... It's not a new song. At this point, it has nothing to do with new. It has everything to do with like, I didn't like my way being trampled upon. God is eternal. Think about which songs are new to God. We sing, oh, oh thou fount of every, come thou fount of every blessing. And God's like, oh, a new one. He's been around a while. But it's not about like I've drawn a line about and I've figured this out theologically. Like we just don't like our way being trampled upon. The problem is, is we are not, we are, we are obedient to a point. But it's not the same obedience to the point of death. Of giving up of self all the way to the tomb. Jesus, watching his descent from God to man to death, it was obedience to a point of death. And unfortunately, we're obedient to a point, but not to the point. We have our limits. And a lot of times, obedience for us is is limited just by what comes naturally. When I was a kid, um, you couldn't swear. It was against the rules. Christians had their own set of swear words that were approved biblically. It was a lot of uh, like just changing the letters. You know, you said G's and golly and wonkers. I'm kidding. I made that one up. But those were better 
than these. And you could delineate pretty well between who was a Christian and who wasn't by who used these alterations and who used these abominations. What an insane thing to do. Just, just a little bit this way. Well, that I wouldn't do that. I'd do this. We are obedient to a point. Love your neighbor. Whew. What question did they ask after that? To what point? To which point? Who's my neighbor? We are we obedience is fine. To a point. But at some point, I just the jerks in this world are going to have to, like, I, or the people I don't like, they're just going to have to. Mm. Following the way of Jesus. Sometimes we talk about it in those terms, like obedience. And that, that really doesn't satisfy the call of Christ. Of saying, well, there's some things I've got to do, and there's a huge list of things I can't. And obedience is not doing those things and then doing a few of these. And if as long as I can get that, but like what Paul's calling them to in Philippi is, an, is to have the same mind of Jesus. He's saying, here's your pattern. See, our problem is that we often think, although equality with God is not something we can grasp, we try anyway. And we refuse to humble ourselves. We refuse to look like the man who God created humanity to be. And instead of being obedient to the point of ultimate submission, we are obedient to a point of individual comfort. When Jesus talked about giving up of self, Paul believes he meant it. We, are, we can be pretty comfortable in the places we have wallowed out for ourselves. Pretty peaceful. Gruntled, if you will. I just for Don. That's a word. Look it up. Because we did just this week. We learned it. Yeah. It's the opposite of disgruntled. Oh, I'm so gruntled. Start saying it. It's fun. We can be really comfortable in those spots. At peace. But we're not obedient to the point of death. Now, obviously, this, we live in a world where that's not really a possibility in actuality. I don't care how many J.C. Penny clerks do not say Merry Christmas to you. You're not persecuted. We, we are not in danger of having to give up our life. But because of that, we are in danger of not looking like Jesus. Because, yeah, I'm not going to have to give up my life. And in the end, I'm not going to have to give up anything. I doubt I'll even have to give up my way. 
I'll doubt I even have to let go of my anger, resentment, bitterness, hatred. But obedience, at least in the way of following Jesus, of humbling self for the sake of unity, for the sake of loving your brother and sister, obedience is to the point, not to a point. To the point of submission. Not to just, this is kind of how I was raised. Does God love you all the way through? Absolutely. When you're comfortable in your little beaten bag religion where you just have you settled in and that's where you stayed for the rest of your life. Does God love you there? Yes. Is God rooting for you to get up and see what more God has to offer? The more people you love, the more stories you hear, the more people you sit with and eat with. And is God rooting for that? Absolutely. Why? Because He loves you unconditionally. Because God loves you where you sit. He's calling you to more. Because what you find whenever you humble yourself completely is the joy that only you can that you can only find in God. Not so holding so tightly to your your own wants and desires. You're not holding so tightly to your your the the rule the rule book that you've made as you've been obedient to a point. Because that's what happens. This is how I've structured my life. I am obedient to this point. And and anybody who's outside that, man, they're the worst. They can make me angry. We've set up our own boundaries. And there's God on a cross saying, could you humble yourself more? Religion can be about, it sometimes can feel like it's about who's the most correct. What a foolish race. Who can look the part? Who has the right doctrines and the right... We we love the right people for the right reasons and hate the wrong people for the right reasons. What a foolish race. Because you're going to get to the end of that race and you're going to find that it's a point that Jesus, where Jesus does not reside. But this week, as you see Jesus on the cross, you realize that the humility we find in the God we follow. The obedience of Jesus to the point of death. Man, it can challenge me. Because I want to be like that Jesus. Not for brownie points, not for extra heaven points. We get those already when we show up to church in the rain. Not for any like exaltation of self, but because 
the one I follow humbled himself. He was obedient to the point of death. So I want to just, we want to just keep going. And that point, no matter who walks in these doors, y'all know next week's Easter? Invite a friend. Invite a friend. You have a spot next to you. Sit them there. We're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, but the resurrection of Jesus happens only to a dead Jesus. A crucified king. A king who was obedient to the point of death. It was an obedience, a road of obedience that looked like humility. Looked like submission. Paul is drawing on that obedience to a church that's struggling. There's too much anxiety in the room. And he's saying the answer is not to figure out who's right. The answer is to follow the man, the, the king, who was obedient to the point of death. And the question for the Philippian church is the same question for us today. To what point are we willing to be obedient? nothing to do with, with what interjections you use. It has everything to do with how, how are you humbling yourself? Giving up of self. And that is the absolute hardest path to walk. Because the, the, the more I travel that road, the less the songs and the, the scenery are to my design. And the more they start looking like the king who died. Let's pray together.